everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Via the Numbers. I do not have my usual co-host, Alex McNabb, with me today. He is off uh, hiking somewhere along the Appalachian Trail and doubtlessly complaining about uh, urban yuppies and their uh, hiking poles. <laughs> At least that was the last text message I got from him. But today I am joined by Eric Stryker, a.k.a. Joseph Jordan. How are you? How are you doing, Stryker? What's going on, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Wonderful, wonderful. It's been a little while since we did any kind of show together. Yeah. I think I, I think I came on striking Mike month this ago? Yeah, month, month ago, ago or so, filled in for Mike. It was a pretty good show, and I, I'm I'm really happy to have you on one of the earliest episodes of this little adventure. Yeah. Sounds oh. like yeah. No, this is an interesting topic to get on. Yeah. I know, I know. So uh, we're go- we're going to be picking apart the the Pentagon's UFO information today, aren't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the cr- right. The critical revelations about well, extraterrestrials. I, 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 I can only make a brief comment about this. Now, most of the this is actually a pleasant surprise for me. Most of the uh, the online right has actually rejected this. Um this narrative about ufos right because what, what what they're trying to do is get people uh that have been politicized in the last say eight years are, are on a wild goose chase uh chasing ufos around like like uh like agent Mulder. um but what we have to understand here is you know when looking at the so-called whistleblower that went on this like new television channel that just appeared one day, News Nation, <clears throat> is that um, this individual had Department of Defense permission to give that interview. So if you're a whistleblower, but you're operating under the per- with permission from the Department of Defense, then you're not really a whistleblower. Um, if you want to see how whistleblow real whistleblowers are treated in this evil country, go and look at the three FBI whistleblowers that uh, filed a congressional complaint uh, about the FBI becoming essentially the Stasi and persecuting people with Christian or conservative or pro-white beliefs. Those those guys were actually hounded and ruined by the U.S. government. And they acted without permission. So if you want to know what it means to have Department of Defense permission, that isn't um, an affirmation or a denial that what this guy, David Grush, is saying is true or false. All that they're saying is that classified information is not being divulged. Let me make this clear. No classified information is being divulged by David Grush, because if it was, he wouldn't have DOD permission to give that interview to News Nation. So ergo, what he is saying is false. It's not real, okay? Because if it was real, he wouldn't get permission from the government to put it out there because it's top secret. Uh, Another perspective that I found to be just a common sense um, argument on this is a Steve Saylor making a pretty obvious but good point, which is an era of cell phone cameras 
where every inch of this planet is under surveillance. Why the hell is the only source for these UFO encounters the Pentagon? Um, why haven't uh, ordinary people filmed these UFOs? Um, why haven't there been, you know, we, we have all types of crazy stuff that we see now because of the, uh, the satellites and uh, things like that. Like, how come uh, Elon Musk, for all the stupid conspiracy theories he puts out there, even Elon Musk says the aliens are the UFO stuff is bullshit. Um, and he's literally his bread and butter is going out and doing stuff in space. So something's not adding up here. I mean, what do you think? Well, I didn't see I didn't know about the DOD uh, permission thing, but I, that's that makes perfect sense. But I do remember I was reading a it was a Yahoo News article. Yahoo News is surprisingly good much of the time. <laughs> Um, You're right. I do too. I know they're they're a great go-to. Yeah. But in the in the Yahoo News article, it had uh, they like quoted a section from this guy's interview where they asked him, so you know, you've seen this stuff, you've been in the room or in like you physically interacted or seen in some way this stuff, and he's like, no, no, I haven't. Right. Okay, then why am I listening to a thing you say? You just told me that you're supposedly a whistleblower who has not had any significant interaction with anything you claim exists in any... Like, I just wrote it off. Mm. Oh, the other reason I wrote it off was because uh, an active DO, uh, Air Force intelligence officer right. it <laughs> said that, oh, yes, we have exotic materials. And I'm like, okay, well, if he's active Air Force intelligence, there's no way he could have said that without permission from the secretary of the air force at very least. So this is a complete non-starter and I felt kind of stupid for even Googling it after listening yeah. to Tucker. I mean, we can only speculate what this is about. You know, there's two possibilities. The one possibility is that because the, um, remember, I think, you, you know, this guy was repeatedly saying that he was getting this as hearsay. Other people told him, Right. So if you know anything about how military stuff operates, especially in the need to know world that this guy is supposedly in, it's very it's, it's, it's all in compartments. So you're given a very narrow task and uh, everyone is given a narrow task. So you may be working on some, you know, like the Chinese are way ahead of us on several technological fronts, because unlike America, they have a, t a meritocratic society. Uh, so, you know, they're not wasting billions of dollars uh, finding uh, racism in STEM, right? Rooting out the, the systematic racism of, uh, you know, the fact that there's like 10, 10 uh, black neuroscience uh, PhDs graduating this year or something like that, right? So, they're way ahead of us on things like quantum information science, uh, AI, things like that. So it's very possible that some moron in the Pentagon, you know, that that the uh, some Chinese like drone, like some experimental Chinese drone is spying on American aircraft or American nuclear facilities. And one of these drones uh, fails during this and, and crashes. And so somebody at the Pentagon uh, or in the Air Force, gets these parts 
And because they're not familiar with the technology, they just jump to the conclusion that it comes from outer space. I mean, <laughs> this is actually this is actually a far more plausible explanation than that they're that that they're extraterrestrials. Now he said as well. I mean, the, the main thing that I think was you know this, if it's true, is the biggest story in human history that there is actually pilots, like extraterrestrial. He heard from someone that there's extraterrestrial pilots inside of these uh, vehicle, crashed vehicles. Um, well, show us some DNA, right? Like, is there any DNA evidence of this? Photographic evidence? Certainly it exists somewhere. Is there any documentation you can share with the public? He's like, oh, I'm not going to share that. I'm, I can't share that. Well, here's the problem. If you're a whistleblower, the whole point is that you have some documentation of something unethical going on um, that you want to share with the public because you believe it's in the public interest. But if you're refusing to share even a modicum of evidence, of documentary evidence, with the journalist you're speaking to, um, I have to take what you say with a grain of salt, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, as I said, I was, after three minutes of Googling it, I felt really stupid for even Googling it. And I'm like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm writing this off. This was a waste of, this was a waste of my time. Um, damn you, Tucker, for yeah. suddenly going into this topic. Your show was not half yes. bad until that point. Yes, absolutely. It's a disgrace. And I think that in some cases, these guys are in on it, these journalists. In other cases, I think they're just being gaslit. You know, if, if you're if you're being targeted for an information psyop as a journalist with a lot of pull, um, you're going to get some people that you can verify would be able to know about these things, reaching out to you and telling you some fantastical stories. And then you go and you, you know, you're hearing this from what seems to be a credible source and you go and you amplify these lies. Um, the question is, why are they doing it? Um, particularly since nobody believes it. So <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I, I'm going to suspect, as many have, that this is a, some sort of idiotic psychological operation um, that is just, it, just like uh, America's hypersonic missiles uh, fails to launch. That's how bad Zog has gotten these days. I would agree. I would agree that whatever they think, whatever they're trying to accomplish with doing this is so abstract that it, it, it it's so abstract as to be meaningless to both us and the public. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I was I was talking to somebody about because um, I remember like in the 90s, there was UFO stuff was all over the place. Right. Um, the X-Files popularized it. But remember, I don't know if you're you, you're you probably don't remember, but. There was uh, always these specials on TV, right? Like, um, oh, the alien abduction video, or, or I'm sorry, the uh, uh, UFOs caught on tape. And everybody back then, it would be like a, like a farmer or somebody in the suburbs or, or somebody, you know, it would be like laymen, not military people, would capture some unidentified flying object in the sky and they'd send it to Fox and they'd create like a... a collection of these videos and play them and they would have like reenactments with gray aliens uh probing people and there'd be uh tons and tons of witnesses that said i was abducted 
by the extraterrestrials and they put a, a cold a cold <laughs> a cold metal rod in my butt and they took samples <laughs> and i was like are you sure are you sure you didn't just <laughs> you didn't just get drugged by bill cosby <laughs> you know <laughs> Got a, got a little too close to the little too close to the water supply flowing out of Harvey Langston's house. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, I was uh, you know, I remember this stuff was everywhere. And you know, I, I'm a person that thinks in patterns. I think in historical patterns. What was going on in the 1990s, right? Well, in the 1990s, you had a burgeoning militia movement um, that was frankly militant and armed. As I've spoken to with Mike, um, when the Soviet Union collapsed, this alliance of business, the U.S. government uh, and kind of conservative Christian Americans uh, was obsolete by the 1990s. And so without the specter of communism, without a boogeyman abroad, a lot of white Americans uh, turned their sights on the U.S. government famously. We saw this with Waco, Ruby Ridge, where the U.S. government slaughtered tons and tons of innocent people. Um, and then, of course, uh, Timothy McVeigh, Oklahoma City bombing happened. And, you know, th this country was frankly on the brink of uh, perhaps not a full-scale revolution, but certainly mass distrust that sometimes turned violent against the end of history that the U.S. government was imposing. Because, of course, when the Soviet Union collapsed, America, it's not like America got less culturally left-wing. Instead, America's culture, cultural Marxism or cultural liberalism accelerated when there was no other superpower. And this obviously did not sit well with white people in America. And so this created tons and tons of instability and, you know, if I had to speculate, I would speculate, you know, with, with some degree of educational, uh, you know, hypothesis here that, um, that, that they may, that the UFO thing even back then may have been a psyop to, you know, kind of conspiracy minded or skeptical, skeptically minded people in the 1990s to, to get them to go on a wild goose chase um, on something well, you know, that's I'm harmless. Yeah. I've written about this before, not in relation to the goofy UFO stuff, but in relation to the goofy, like, New World Order agenda 2030, like, that kind of goofy stuff. Uh, it was an article on yes. the, hyphen, the Hyphen Report titled, It's Always a New World. Yeah. And the, the essence of it is basically that the state is really happy for people to be obsessed with goofy... United Nations black helicopter, black site, you know, just this most ridiculous kooky stuff. Yeah. The there. state really loves people to focus on this because it's completely harmless and it's an ideological cul-de-sac. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would add, yeah, things like today, the, the new version of this, I mean, it's Bircherism, right? I know you're familiar with the John Birch Society. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the new version of this is like the World Health Organization and things like that, right? You know, get, get your focus on a irrelevant, you know, enemy. Globalism is not necessarily like countries going to the United Nations 
to, you know, settle a global diplomatic crisis or even a, a pandemic or something. That's not what globalism is. Globalism is actually a, 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 an institution of, idea, of ideas, such as open borders and so on. Now, these entities may support those ideas, but they're not the point of origin for them. Point of origin is in Washington, Washington and Wall Street, and to a lesser degree, Silicon Valley, are the ones that 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 the World Health Organization and the United Nations answer to, not the other way around. And understanding this power dynamic is vital if you want to be effective in opposing globalism. Um, the Birchers specialize in reversing that, primarily to avoid uh, Jewish people being uh, subjected to criticism. Um, we can actually, if you want to read, people should read um, the, the, the writings of Revelo P. Oliver uh, on this topic. Revelo P. Oliver, the, uh, I believe it's called The Education of a Conservative. That's his famous book. <clears throat> now this man was one of the founders, get this, he co-founded the John Birch Society and the National Review, Revelo P. Oliver. And he went on to expose these entities, particularly JBS, um, as being secretly controlled by a cabal of wealthy Jewish people. Uh, the the so-called Candyman, Welch, who was the uh, figurehead of the JBS, was privately answering to a, to a committee of Jews that funded JBS. And their whole purpose according to Oliver, was to, to distinguish the, and, and to separate the role of Jewish people behind communism. Um, the JBS would blame the United Nations for communism. They would blame anything but the actual culprit. And according to Oliver, this was a deliberate strategy by Jewish people to control the opposition. And here we are, fast forward to 2023, the documentary Plandemic as a sequel. It's like on the third sequel, Plandemic 3. And the whole documentary, from, from according to the trailer, is the, the, the titular, the titular uh, documentarian um, discovering John Birch Society and saying that the John Birch Society is basically Plandemic 3 is an advertisement to join the John Birch Society, saying that they predicted that communists would use uh, global health to impose a, a world socialist conspiracy and so on and so on. Uh, total nonsense, right? But well, you can see thing. how this is, uh, this is encouraged, uh, even if, if it's got, uh, got a, a sort of, oh, this is dissent, right? It's got that flair. It's not, right? So anyway, go ahead. The, 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 <clears throat> the one thing that the... <laughs> The United Nations system is not a socialist. The World Bank, <coughs> yeah, the, the World, World Bank, Bank, yeah, and the IMF love themselves some neoliberal economics. They love open capital markets and privatization. Oh my god! Oh, they can't get enough of it. <laughs> if you want to get, I mean, this is known. Like, if you want to get a loan from the International Monetary Fund, you have you're given an actual, like an actual script of things to do. Oh, yeah. And they all you, of it is in the realm of private. Exactly. You get like, instead of white papers, you get Jew papers. 
And, uh, and in those, you have to privatize literally everything in your society. You have to lift restrictions on obscenities and they have other like even cultural stuff. I mean, that's what the IMF does. Like the, the, the money they give you has strings attached and those strings are all political and economic reforms and so on. And by the way, there's no evidence whatsoever that implementing these reforms creates economic stability or prosperity. Africa, it, Africa has been trying to do it since the 1960s and it hasn't worked anywhere. And right. pe people might say, oh, that's well, that's just Africa. Right. Argentina has had like yeah. eight or 12 IMF packages. Yeah. And they have been in a constant state of just Eastern. Their economy has been on yes. fire since the 1990s. Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe um, used uh, shock therapy economics. Russia in particular used kind of IMF prescribed shock therapy economics. And the life expectancy of a Russian man in the 1990s was reduced from like 68 to 50 during this well, time. You know the you know, the, the, you know the, re, the one of the reasons that the word democracy in Russian is like a dirty word or a joke word is because of shock therapy and, and the IMF in the United States was a big right. part of trying to right. transition the Russian economy. Like yes. that is why it's a joke word to them. Yes. Yes. It, it, it's not necessarily a racial thing because many whites are, are, that deal with the IMF in second world countries uh, are, are kind of just put in a deeper hole because of it, you know? So, yeah, totally agree. Now, uh, I don't know, you want to get to the uh, the topic of the day now? Ab absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I was very <clears throat> excited when you agreed to do the show and, and you found some fantastic research. You know, uh, that was why I'll give my, I have an assistant that helped me. Oh, I don't know if oh she yes, wants yes. to be named, but uh, I'll I'll just say that I didn't do all the work myself. I had some help. She, she right. did some fantastic research on top of the two pieces that I have up on the Substack, which will yeah. be linked below in the description. Um, so I was very excited when you agreed to do the topic, you know, because there's sort of this pervasive myth, particularly in the circles that we run in, that well, people are just unaware of what's going on. People don't really understand. Liberalism is such a pervasive mind virus that you know we have no chance of of getting the message through. But the data doesn't really show that, does it? Hmm. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things here that need to be understood. Number one, um, everybody has eyes and ears, okay, and in some cases, a sense of smell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, quite. So the white people of America and the West have noticed that there are less white people around. They don't need to be red-pilled on that unless they live in some extremely rural – I mean even rural areas. Uh, they have trailers full of Mexicans working because the farm agri agri agribusiness is um, you know, hiring illegal aliens to pick their – instead of – Instead of doing what advanced countries like Japan do, right? Japan has uh, machines picking their crops, right? So that's what advanced countries do. The United States is doubling down on this kind of modern slavery of using extremely cheap labor from uh, rural parts of Central and Southern Central America and Southern Mexico 
these are like American Indians that they are importing into the United States to do this work, which could easily be done by machines. Um, so they can't, you know, th this has obvious social problems, right? Like all mass migration causes social problems in the countries that are of origin. I mean, we saw in France this morning, uh, a asylum seeker from Syria stabbed eight children was chasing chasing mothers with their freaking strollers and trying to kill their children okay like this would never have happened were it not for the open society ideology of immigration it's not even islam because the guy who did it is not muslim so a lot of conservatives initially were like see this is what happens with islam but the guy was literally saying oh hail jesus or something or long live christ or something as he did this this is a fucking crazy person or a person full of resentment, whatever his his motives were, um, the fact that this person was on European soil is a a is a crime in itself. It's a crime in and of itself. Um, so the point we're getting at here is that white people notice this. It's already been noticed. We're past the the point of noticing these things. Now we're at the point of what to do about it. Like what what exactly are the political and cultural and organizational response to this like how do we how do we now at this point now we have to study how do we organize our people to push back against this in the political realm um and one of the one of the ways to do it is by sharpening our ideas and and um shaking off the ideas that have failed us right these are conservative ideas. Yes. And we have to uh, we have to more than anything be aware that you know we have to tell people no you know you're not alone in thinking this. The French I wrote in the post that I put up today after I saw the thing about the knife attack, 60% of the French are aware of the demographic situation in their country. 60%. Yeah. 70% of them don't feel safe in their own country. That is a clear political mandate to do something. Right. Exactly. But there, but there is no, there, there is no, you know, there's no one in France is going to step up and do anything. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, looking at surveys, when it comes to the more in-your-face racial issues, like you know, you don't need necessarily to be uh, extremely politically adept to know that white people in America are treated differently as second or third, or as I say, third-class citizens in the United States. You don't really need that because people see it in their day-to-day -day lives, you know, or they see it on the, even on the news, you know, the, the bike Karen, um, you know, constant, constant stories in the national media of, of old white people defending their lives from young non-white criminals uh, being arrested for for this, even though they are without beyond reasonable doubt gauging in the textbook definition of legal self-defense. You see stories like this every day now. And um, so the question is, I, I suspect, again, like Mike says, um, people assume that just because conservatives are selling something, that it means that there's buyers. It's not true. And when it's an elect, every time there's an election year, you'll see the Matt Walsh's 
and the Ben Shapiro's of America start maybe dog whistling a little bit because, you know, as as some of our research has shown, um, the lack of the GOP representing this sentiment of, hey, there's nobody pushing back against the anti-white stuff. This lack, this absolute negligence by the Republican Party has, you know, polls showing that 49 percent of respondents are open to backing a third party in 2024. Now, not all of that is due to this, but a lot of it is. Okay, so this is a ton of it is. If you look at the data, there's the YouGov poll in the first article. There's a YouGov poll which reads discrimination against white people has become as big a problem as discrimination against black people in the U.S., you get a, you, you get a, a all U.S. adults is about 42 percent. White Americans is about uh, 47 percent. Hispanics are like 35 percent. That's a huge percentage of, of, of the population that you're not catering to politically unless right. Matt Walsh says something. Yeah. So he's the pressure release valve in this instance. Absolutely. And remember, Matt Walsh. Um, in, in 2020, when the Ahmad Arbery case happened, um, he took the woke position on that and said, well, you know, sometimes guys like to just inspect a abandoned construction site. And huh. he was he was on Twitter calling for the heads of the McMichaels, which, you know, again, if you allow someone like Matt Walsh to become the arbiter of um, uh, of of the right, which you do when you. You know, say, oh, look, Matt Walsh, you know, you, you treat him like he is the one. He's the grand poobah. He's the one who decides what is legitimate or not. Well, when you put him in that role, you give him the power to decide whether the conservative movement or just white Americans in general uh, are allowed to, for example, come together to defend the McMichaels, you know. He's in charge of that, and he made the decision that it's not. And now the McMichaels, because of the lack of counter-politicization by the right, the institutional right, uh, the McMichaels will now die in prison. Okay? They pled guilty to the federal charges. They're going to die in prison. The McMichaels and their friend, all three of them, these guys, innocent men, innocent men who probably voted Republican their whole life, um, will, will spend the rest of their lives in prison, despite being innocent. We see the same thing on Twitter where Elon Musk bought Twitter and every all of a sudden everyone is just suddenly willing to let him be the arbiter of the acceptable spectrum of speech. Right. Because he's Elon Musk. And for some reason that matters. Yes. And now that, you know, the video of the stabbing, which I didn't even put up on my telegram just because it's so horrible. I didn't want to share it around, but that is that is banned on Twitter. You can't put it on Twitter. Oh, OK. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I, people have been people have been posting their attempts to put it on Twitter all day. Yeah, because, you know, what's funny. That kind of stuff is more radicalizing than in terms oh, yeah, of infinitely you know, that than any IQ study. Um, seeing something like that is is what makes the difference between someone who just this is this is the actual problem we have. Uh, James, is that um, the problem isn't that people don't know the facts. They know the facts. The real issue is that there's nothing emotionally compelling to take on the public risks, the risk of, of losing your job, the risk of, of social attack, 
frankly, the risk even of prison um, in order to fight back against something like this. But if people start seeing videos of, you know, uh, a freaking invader stabbing babies, stabbing white babies for no reason, that can actually push or compel somebody who go to go from just a person that understands the, the world and how it works and just says, OK, it is what it is into somebody who becomes a militant and nationalist activist who's like, absolutely. I mean, yeah, again, this- there are things worse than, Six- than, than being doxxed or going to jail or whatever. And this is it. Someone 60%, walking around. Yeah. 60 percent of the friends are already aware of the issue. So, I mean, that's you only need. France has, what, 65 million people, 60 percent, like you only need a million people. Yeah. To, to become motive, to become politically motivated. Right. And and incidents like this motivate surprising numbers of people. Oh, well, of course, of course, because rationalism on its own is not capable of compelling men to take risks and self-sacrifice. Um, what makes men take risks and self-sacrifice or romantic ideas, land, blood, uh, family, uh, protection of the innocent, you know, defending the weak, things like that. These are, these are the kinds of things that these moral, moral truths, moral, uh, moral questions. These are the ones that compel men to risk everything they have to fight back. I mean, what's that? Um, what's that say? Oh man, it's such a great quote. I can't believe I'm forgetting how it goes. It's like some like, um, civilization requires enormous sacrifices from many men and, but it's very easy to lose it. The the second that people stop, uh, dedicating their lives to preserving and advancing Western civilization, that's when you lose it. Um, and so this is something that this, this malaise, this anonymy that you see possessing all the white peoples of the West is not from a lack of information. It's absolutely a, not a lack of courage. You know, you see there's this fan, there's the polling. There's the hilarious poll that uh, 44 percent of Americans now just outright want to ban transgender care for minors and i don't even like using the word care i'm just using like the literal terminology from the poll that is that is like four times higher than it was a year ago because people are motivated when they see some of i mean i've seen some horrible stuff on social media from the the drag queens and and it it the kids in particular it motivates people yeah oh yeah that that's instinctual, you know. It's like when you're walking on the road. I mean, it's instinctual in all mammals, all all living things, really. Uh, when you're walking, say you're going hiking and you see a cute little baby cub, if you go near that cub <laughs> and the mama bear's around, it's gonna maul you. Um, and uh, you know, we kind of see this even with people in Glendale, California, Los Angeles. Okay. These are Armenian, the Armenian community there literally started rioting over the left wing imposition of homosexual values on their children. 
Um, so I recently it, wrote a whole article and it wasn't released, but there were, and then read another article. I wish I could remember on what Substack it was. It's a guy who who only writes about issues to do with sort of California and race and stuff like that. But fascinatingly, all the the situation in California has become so bad that white people in California, regardless of political affiliation, I mean, we're talking some of the richest, bluest, most progressive, you know, LGBT flag on every house sort of area of California. These people are starting to fight tooth and nail to keep their schools free of this shit and their neighborhoods free of all of the people that they want, they claim to want in the country. One town in California, because the, the, the state legislature passed a law mandating that every municipality had to rezone like one or two percent of the area to build multifamily affordable housing. And this town in California, which was like 98 percent white and in one of the richest in the state, they rezoned their own town as a mountain lion sanctuary to, <laughs> to avoid building affordable housing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is happening in New York State right now, where there are about 20 municipalities being sued by the New York government because they refuse to house these migrants that they're bringing in. Uh, let me let me uh, find the information on this. It's it's actually quite amazing. The the well, the, the, the I mean, attorneys and just... attorney general in New York City is suing all these, most of them in like uh, you know the Rust Belt part of New York. Um, demanding that they take in these illegal brown people that they found on the U.S. border that Ron DeSantis is flowing deep, flying deeper into. The you know, country. I just have to I just <laughs> have to say I hate that. I when when Ron DeSantis pulled that crap where he sent all of those uh, Haitians or Cubans or whatever to yeah. Martha's Martha's Vineyard, I got really mad you know, yep. there were people who there were people who were doing the oh, oh they got what they deserve. Those people vote for this. I don't think you deserve to be exposed to massive potential for crime and vandalism and other issues because of how you vote. Right. My my opinion of the safety of people is not dictated by how they vote. But now this is this is a common thing. Texas right. te Texas does it. Uh, Greg Abbott in Texas. Ron DeSantis does it. I know whoever that goofy governor uh, who in Georgia, he has done this before. Yeah. The governor of, of uh, Utah has said that if his state is forced to take peep significant amount, significant amounts of people, he'll put them on buses to Seattle and Los Angeles like this. And now California has said they'll fly people to Florida like it. I, I am. I, this is the most ridiculous thing. Well, the thing is, ruby red states like Georgia have just as many illegal aliens and are just as tolerant of illegal immigration as, you know, they're, they're not ruby red anymore, but they have been for decades, right? Um, they're just as tolerant of illegal immigration. Texas, Georgia, um, you, you know, Texas could have the excuse that it's on the border. What's Georgia's excuse? Why does Georgia have far more illegal immigrants than the vast majority of blue states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin 
don't have even like a, 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 a comparable amount of immigrants. Just a few percentage points. Right. But the agriculture, the agribusiness, the agro agro capitalists in Georgia have essentially an open border, um, despite not being a border state. And they have the Republicans there have loaded this, the, the, the state up with illegal immigrants. So why would you send them to Martha's Vineyard and not to Georgia? Um, they have the same policy effectively. Now you could say, oh, well, this owns the libs because it exposes them as hypocrites. Um, but really, but all it does is I don't want them to white. Martha's Vineyard, and then the people at Martha's Vineyard will resettle them in a working class white district near Boston or whatever. I mean, it's it's not even that. Like, I don't want an old granny on Martha's Vineyard stabbed by one of oh, these people right. any any more than I do one in Florida. Just well, because just because one of them voted for Ron DeSantis and one of them voted for whoever that ugly dyke is, who's the governor of Massachusetts. <laughs> governor of massachusetts now well I, you know I, you know no actually you know is it the governor of massachusetts a republican it's charlie baker no i think no i'm pretty sure it's a woman now oh huh? yeah oh okay you're right yeah maura he maura healy yeah she's well like the, the, first, the, the first openly lesbian governor or something here's something for the own the libs crowd um the governor of mass two-term governor of massachusetts charlie baker charles baker from 2015 to 2023 is a fucking Republican. So <laughs> what's your excuse, friends? <laughs> I mean, it's one of your guys that's in charge of Massachusetts till now, right? Yeah, until like literally uh, five minutes uh, ago. January, yeah, five months yeah. ago, eight months ago. So six, six months ago, rather. So why doesn't the Republican Party take account of this, right? Like, why isn't Charlie Baker being removed from the Republican Party? So let me get let me get this straight. Like, you're flying in migrants to Massachusetts because of their pro-immigration liberal stance, but they have a Republican governor. So it just doesn't make any sense. It's just a dumb stunt. It's well, a yeah, dumb stunt that requires you that requires you to be a cable news watcher. Rather than someone who reads, reads newspapers, reads books, or just has a cursory knowledge of current events uh, in order to fall for it. Because if you actually go and read, you're like, wait a second. The people of Massachusetts are bad and, des and deserve immigrant crime because they vote for Democrats, but they actually have been voting for Republicans, too. So – this is the kind of point that we're getting at, is that this is the uniparty. This is a consensus in Washington. It doesn't matter what the people want. And the same is true in Britain. The, the, the Tory party is to the, if you want to call it the left, of the voters on immigration. Okay? To oh, the far, by far and away. <laughs> yeah. So, like, away. well, they're more left. The, the Tory representatives or more left-wing on immigration than the people that vote for the Labor Party. The well, working class say, for, way, 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 millions, millions yeah. more people have entered the United Kingdom under Conservative Party governments than have entered the United Kingdom under Labor Party governments. Millions. Right. I'm not saying Tony Blair was all that great, and Gordon Brown oh, certainly wasn't all that great, but after 13 years of the Conservative Party... The population in Britain's up, like, up by millions and millions, way more than under Tony Blair. 
And people are also leaving. Mark Collette was telling me that actually a lot of white Britons are leaving Britain. They're leaving the country. They're oh, reti- retirees especially. They retire and they they bugger off to Spain or Malta or not only that Portugal, Australia, New Australia, Zealand. Australia, yes. They, I, a lot of young Englishmen go to Australia too. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> and to, believe me, I'm not I'm not endorsing the Labour Party with everything I just said. I just reflexively, I you know, I can't help it. I just have to reflexively hate the yeah. Tories anytime they're brought up. We see this pattern everywhere we go. I mean, look at Italy. Why? Why is the Georgia so-called... Maloney? What a why stupid! Is... Well, I try not to call her names, but Jesus. Well, why is it the supposed nationalist uh, candidate? <laughs> Let, letting in more immigrants than the social democrat that she replaced why the woman the woman that european media spent eight whole months calling the reincarnate of mussolini that only uh, helped her it, you're right it, it did european you're right it did only you're right it did only help her that's true it's like an endorsement yeah and it's like it's she, like it's like remember when like the daily stormer would be condemned by like Papa John's and like we have nothing to do with the Daily Stormer, and then he would just endorse <laughs> Papa John's as like is a like act like Papa John's is paying for ads on the Daily Stormer and shit. <laughs> th- th- this is actually th- the Jews are so demoralized that this is actually the role that they play now is that when they want to get some 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 like controlled opposition candidate elected, uh, they just they just start attacking them carefully. Right? It's not the same line of attack as with Trump. Trump is fake opposition too, but he's fake opposition in in a different way. He's just a, a con artist, and he's willing to he's willing to light fire to to, to precious Jewish institutions to line his own pockets. <laughs> uh, you know, like with the election fraud thing. Um, but uh, in the case of Georgia Maloney or Ron DeSantis, um, when the media comes out and calls him racist or fascist or whatever. Uh, that just helps them in the polls, you know. Yeah, there's no helping poor Ron in the polls. He's oh man, he's he's way down there. Oh, he's he, terrible. Though, though, interestingly, I looked two days ago at the polling for hypothetical races against Joe Biden, and even Ron has been leading in a few against Joe. Well, so here's here's my perspective on this. Um, I think Ron DeSantis has sort of failed to launch is despite all of his advantages over Trump, he's still an awful candidate, like below average candidate. Um, he's really goofy. However, Trump has also really failed to launch. Um, his 2024 announcement has not been impressive. His campaigning so far has been really unimpressive. Um, so it's really just about who sucks the least. Uh, between these two guys. Now, what I suspect, this is going to be my my analytical forecast, is that all this clown car of Republicans that are running, Chris Christie, uh, Nikki Haley, um, so Mike Pence. Yeah, Mike, uh, Mike Pence entered the race just yesterday, I think. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's, yeah, what's going to happen, and Tim Scott and all these guys, what I suspect is going to happen is there's going to be a Julius Caesar on the Senate floor moment where all these people are going to take turns stabbing him on the stage. 
Yeah. So I was saying this to a friend just yesterday who sent me a message asking my opinion on why Chris Christie of all people, you know, Krispy Kreme would join the race. And I said, well, it's because they're all going to stand on stage and they're all going to bludgeon Donald Trump. Yes. And they're all going. And what I think they're going to do is they're all going to hammer him on the one true thing, which is he didn't do anything he promised as president. He was completely you. The, the place literally burned down on his watch. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think they're all just going to stand on that stage. And it's going to work. It, yeah. It, oh, yeah, it will work. It'll absolutely work because that's the one thing that's true. I mean, you can they you can talk about January 6th or Russia. Yeah. Or, I mean, you could talk about anything else. But the only thing that's true is that he didn't govern well. Well, you know, if you see, if you watch Chris Christie's, I mean, everyone's laughing at Chris Christie, including me, right? But uh, if you look at what he's doing, I mean, do, do you remember in 2016 when he had that little back and forth with Marco Rubio? Um, maybe you don't remember this um, at, on the debate stage. I'm this blanking, was, but I bet if you tell me about it, I'll remember. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you could you could go back in time and watch this interaction where he basically uh, destroyed, uh, basically ended. Marco Rubio was one of the favorites in the 2016 election, extremely well-funded. Um, and Chris Christie wrecked, wrecked him. He said, like, you're just... You're, you sound like a. He said something to the. I I I can't recall the exact words. But he's like something. Um, you sound like a robot. All he, he said, Chris Christie said to him, "You sound like a robot. You just memorize talking points. You're 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 not really. You're not really. Uh, you're you're kind of dumb. It was something like that. But it was way more effective. And that actually that actually played a huge role in deflating Marco Rubio. Like completely wrecked him. I'm amazed and, I don't remember that. Because even though Chris Christie, because his policies, he's essentially another Zionist pawn. Well, he, was a Republic, he, was a he was a Republican governor of New Jersey. He has <laughs> yeah. not inter he has not an original or good policy thought in his mind. Let me see if I can find the exact quote here. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch. This is that. it says. Uh, so actually. It says here, let's dispel. This is a quote uh, where Rubio repeated a line that he had given before, like minutes before. And then the line goes, quote, let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And then Chris Christie interfere, intervened and he goes, you memorize a 30 second speech. And then start making fun, call him like the, the start calling him a robot. Like he's like, you, you sound like a robot. Like, and this was a hugely embarrassing moment for Rubio. Like he started plummeting in the polls after this. Like he was just dressed down by this fat guy, like this, uh, this fat, <laughs> this fat Italian guy from New Jersey. Yeah, this, I mean, the, people from New Jersey are fucking horrible. Like they're really horrible people. <laughs> I was going to say, I, they're I, really I, mean. Aside, <laughs> aside from, aside from Mike, I haven't, I haven't really met many people from Jersey. I like on a personal level. They're really people from New Jersey are really cruel and really. But that that's what makes Chris Christie potentially effective is if, if you if you see, like I said, his he has one job. 
He's literally like if you're playing, um, you know, if you're I, I'm not, I haven't watched baseball in like 20 years, but like, you know, like th- there's like a pitcher that you insert at j- to close the game or just to play one role right in the game to play for one inning and just one role. That's kind of what Chris Christie is like. Jews are paying him to run for office despite his statistical chance of zero of winning. Uh, because he has one job, and his one job is to snare Trump in something like this. And well, you know, he's been he's been preparing for it. Trump Trump basically called him fat on stage, and he has since lost a ton of. I'm not, I mean, he's not thin; he's not a spring chicken, but he has lost a ton of weight. Trump. No. The problem Chris, is. Oh, okay. Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, this is what what internet right wing people don't understand, like. Trump, the secret to Trump in 2016 wasn't his childish insults. The secret to Trump was his policies. He Wait, was pick, he was serving a hundred dollar bill up off the ground. Yes, he was serving a market by going running against immigration, demographic replacement, globalization uh, and free trade and war. Donald Trump was serving uh, a proportion of the electorate. Remember, Donald Trump didn't red pill this electorate. Okay. As soon as well, he no, announced I mean, his have presidency the... and said what he was going to do, he shot up in the polls to number one. You can't possibly think that this is what red pilled everyone. It's that well, there I mean, was a market the... of white voters that were not being served, and he served them. I have the I have the data right here. There was a U, uh, UMass Amherst poll that found 37% of Americans believe, you know, uh, the deliberate replacement of the white population of the United States is a bad thing. There was the SPLC poll. Yeah. Forty percent of Americans said that uh, demographic replacement posed a threat to white Americans and their culture and values. Donald Trump didn't have to convince anyone. He came up, he came along and he, in 2016, his 2020 yep. campaign, stupid and awful and retarded. But in 2016, he just picked up the the, yep. the, the hundred dollar bill off the ground and everyone yep. said, hey, look at that guy. I mean, That's what was, Ann Coulter was saying. Remember, Ann Coulter wrote the book on this before Trump ran. Okay. Um, so Donald Trump noticed her book that it was a bestseller, that the message in, in Adios America was popular. And it's a great and, book. Yeah. And culture is kind of goofy, but it's a good book. Yeah. She's smart. Um, and, uh, and so he, he, Trump realized that this book was selling out and he's like, okay, let me give this a shot. And then Trump himself, by all uh, people that were there in 2015 and 16, all the people that witnessed Trump's rise will tell you that Trump himself was astonished in private at how popular his message was. Like he kind of wanted just to do the, the presidency as a publicity stunt. Um, and then it took a life of its own. That's what actually happened. And that's because he took a risk on something. He's like, oh, look, like you said, a hundred dollar bill on the ground. Um, so Trump yeah, didn't I mean, actually the secret to Trump is not that he was on The Apprentice. It's not that he's good on TV. <clears throat> it's not that he's uh, that he calls people fat. Um, it's not that he's he's going around saying, you know, go and honk some chicks pussy. That's not his secret. OK, his secret is that he gives these opinions and doesn't back away or qualify he says, this is what I believe, and says things that everyone is thinking without showing fear. That's well, what I mean, people 
That's what people liked about him. And when someone would try to guilt him over it, he would just insult them. And so people like in that context. However, in this case, fast forward to 2024, if Chris Christie is going around saying that Donald Trump, he's not saying Donald Trump is a racist. He's not saying Donald Trump is a misogynist. What he's saying is Donald Trump is a grifter. He's saying Donald Trump lies to people about what he's going to do as president to make money off of them. He lied about the election because he wanted to make money after losing the election. These are the things Chris Christie is saying. And you know what? They're objectively true. Yeah, it's just true. So if Trump's if Trump's only response to that is to call him fat, it's not going to work this time. It's just not. And that's his response. His response is like, yeah, but you're fat. It's like, you know, the people are just, you know, if you did that in a middle school, in a middle school schoolyard, like the kids would be like, yo, this kid's retarded. If, you know, if you, if you said that in a serious conversation, he's, this, he's calling you a fraud. He's saying you, you're a fraud and he has the documents to prove it. He has the actual evidence. The world has seen the evidence that Donald Trump lost an election and then ripped off his own voters and supporters and then led them to the Capitol and then, you know, maybe the FBI played a role or whatever, but, you know, he brought them to the Washington to protest something fake. And now thousands of them are in prison. Over a thousand are in prison or, or, or have felonies or criminal records now over this. And he has done nothing to support them. He's promising that he's going to pardon them, but everybody knows he's not going to. OK, well, so this is people. So this is the interesting thing. And I wasn't expecting to talk about the election, but I'm always ready. Um, there was there's this famous video now semi-famous where Trump recently gave a speech talking about immigration. And he I mean, he went right back to 2016. Like, I'm going to he said just really broadly, I'm going to deport them all. I'm going to deport everyone. And it had to be this. You know, 19, 20, 22 year old guy was being interviewed after the speech. And the, and the kid just says, like, OK, but he could have done this when he got elected the first time he had a term where he could have done this. And the, and the January 6th thing is the same thing. He was still president for days, weeks. Right. And <clears throat> instead he just like angrily huffed and puffed and <laughs> walked out of what? Well, as, as the president of the United States, if, if the FBI, um, which I'm sure actually is true, the DHS and FBI, um, led the protesters into the Capitol. I think there's enough evidence to suggest that. And FBI whistleblowers have said this, that it's true. Why didn't Trump, like, use his executive power as commander in chief, as overseer of all these institutions to expose them? Right? Like, what are the, what are the, what's the rationale for why he didn't expose them then? Um, the president can de- can, can declassify documents, can... Oh, yeah, he's, he's the font of intelligence. He can classify He can fire people. He can fire people. He can hire people. He can do whatever he wants, and he didn't. So we can only gather a few, a few potential scenarios here. The first scenario is that Trump was in on it. <laughs> this is actually my, my dark horse kind of semi-informed pet conspiracy theory, is that... Actually, Donald Trump himself was in on this intelligent oper- intelligence operation 
to get thousands of his supporters' uh, lives ruined in order to deflate his, his movement, his own movement, as some sort of agreement with the Jews after unleashing this populist energy, white populist energy. That's one of my, that's my pet conspiracy theory. Uh, another option, another potential possibility is that he just doesn't care, okay? That was likely that, hey, all these people got in trouble over something I made up, and, but I didn't get in trouble, so I don't care. You know, that's, that would be very Trump. Um, so there's a ton of scenarios, and none of them, none of them make him look good, okay? And so if Chris Christie pulls on this thread, it's going to hurt Trump. Like everybody on that debate stage is going to have their own pet little attack on Trump. They're going to have their own little niche attack on Trump. DeSantis is going to attack Trump on being weak on crime and potentially weak on immigration. Now, the problem is DeSantis is the same. So Trump could just respond by saying, well, you did the same shit in Florida. And it would be also true. So these guys are just going to – DeSantis isn't even particularly strong on immigration. He just has sort of goofy – like if you have an illegal immigrant in your car, you're going to jail. Like that's just goofy. That isn't policy. That's just silly. Yeah, but that, that's not enforced. I think it's fine. If, if Actually, if you have an illegal immigrant in your car, you go to jail. I, I don't think that's a bad idea. That's like a good way to, to pick – to, to pick one for one, you know, just discourage people like what Romney said, self-deportation, discourage people from from having illegal aliens working on their job site uh, or renting to illegal aliens by punishing landlords, punishing employers um, is a good policy. But the problem in Florida is that it's not actually enforced. This is well, this is the big point. controversy it, it with the E-Verify. Well, E-Verify, yes. E-Verify is the only states this was hilarious i i actually wrote an article or put this in an article it was the second it's actually the first great repatriation piece on the substack the only states that have mandatory e-verify for private employers as well as the public sector are the deep southern states and that's because the black Democrats in those state legislatures wanted mandatory E-Verify. Right. You get the the most lily white legislature in Wisconsin or Arizona, because the government of Arizona is surprisingly white, or yeah. Nevada or, or Ohio. Those people absolutely will not legalize mandatory E-Verify for private businesses. Right. But the blacks in the Deep South will. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Those, the, 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 I forget his name, whoever the, dep, the deputy governor of uh, North Carolina is, that really big black guy. He is infinitely more serious about the illegal immigration question than Ron DeSantis is. Yes. Same with, um, same with uh, Bronovich, the attorney general of Arizona. Do you remember him? Yeah, he kind of a uh, slightly pudgy, a lot of facial hair. Yeah. I think I know. Who, yeah, yeah. Mark, yeah. Mark Bron Bronovich. Yeah. Um, he sued the the the, uh, the U.S. government as the attorney general of Arizona. Uh, he sued them, saying that the open border was a violation of climate, uh, you know, cl climate change regulations. 
So basically what he was doing is he was going to force the Department of Justice and the U.S. government to choose between the green agenda and the immigration agenda. Like th these are the kinds of dynamic ideas, the kind of dynamic lawfare that goes completely underappreciated in Arizona, in, in the Republican Party rather, because this guy ran later on, ran for Congress. He ran as a he ran for nomination uh, in the Senate election in Arizona, and he was uh, defeated by the gimmicky kind of ass clown, the Peter Thiel funded ass clown. What's his name? The, the skinny guy. Um, oh, I know who you're Masters, talking about. Blake Masters. Yes. There's a guy who's like posting Chad memes like is the, the Chad Blake Masters versus the virgin Mark Kelly. And it was like an astronaut. And, and people were like, wait, you guys realize that like astronauts are held in high esteem in America, right? Like, you know, you, you making virgin Chad memes of like, look at this guy. He's an astronaut. He's a fucking Thoy, thoy draft. He's an astronaut. <laughs> You know, so like the, uh, the 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 retards, the Peter Thiel and the other retards, funded artificially gave the clown Blake Masters the nomination uh, and defeated Mark Bronovich, who's actually like a more serious kind of um, Jeff Sessions style. Well, yeah, this reminds this reminds me of Jeff Sessions and Chris Kobach, yeah. both both right. of whom have actual good policy ideas. Jeff Sessions, who I realize is not perfect, Jeff Sessions got into the Department of Justice and he started making huge changes to yep. the immigration court system so that people weren't just milled through and released into the country. Yep. Jeff Sessions did that and then he got fired. By Trump, yes. Yeah, by Trump. And it's the same. Chris Kobach is, is of everyone in the GOP, is one of my the only people I like and the only people who actually sort of is interested in making public policy right. of any of any substance. And Donald Trump, number one, wouldn't hire him, despite the fact that a bunch of people told him to hire him. And number two, Donald Trump would wouldn't endorse him for either his race for a Senate seat in Arkansas. Yep. Yep. And wouldn't or I'm sorry, Kansas, Kansas. and wouldn't and wouldn't endorse him. For right. the for the governor's race, yeah, he's he's a, he's a fraud. Yeah, Trump Trump is not actually for immigration control. Like the, I, here, this, here, let me actually give you a real red pill. Here's a real red pill. Donald Trump is for amnesty, and if you elect him, <laughs> every one of the GOP is yes. And if and if Trump gets elected in 2024, mark my words, he won't. But if he does, he will personally introduce the unthinkable, which is an amnesty. And be able to get it through. You know why? Oh, because he will have enough of the white consciousness vote. The white, the the the. the anytime you see the Republicans um, shoot down an amnesty, it's out of fear that the white vote, the white consciousness vote, will turn on them, and they will get blown out. But if Trump is in charge, because of his personal relationship with the white working class. They feel that he may actually be capable of convincing people. I mean, look at how he convinced people to support criminal justice reform, literally letting letting violent black felons out of prison. Like, look at how he was able to get that through. 
No one else, if Joe Biden had, if Joe Biden, if there was never a first step back and Joe Biden put that on the table in Congress, it would have never passed. The Democrats, Period. the Democrats never introduced. Now, I can't literally, I don't, I don't mean literally never, but ne- never in any substantive way introduce amnesties. And as always the GOP yeah. inserting amnesties into the uh, military authorization bill every year, into the Homeland Security bill every year. It's always the fucking GOP. Right. I mean, no, they, they do their own, but like the ones that are serious because, of course, they are like, oh, look, we compromised. Well, I we mean, compromised. Yeah, the, the, they like the, to do that. The, the Democrats do this thing where they will amnesty like everyone who entered through the port of, you know, Juarez on the 13th to 18th of July in 1985 or something, which will be like, I don't know, you know, 500 people. It's the Republicans who passed things like the Reagan farm worker amnesty, which ended up, I think the chain migration from that ended up being about 2 million people. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone gets in under it because they don't ask for proof. Right. Like how the hell do they prove these specific criteria? They just go to a lawyer and the lawyer says, and they lie and the lawyer just fixes it for them. Well, what happens is is the uh, and this happened under Clinton actually. What they do is they pass an amnesty, but then because of the power of the executive branch, the president will usually say, "Well, just ignore the background checks. Don't do the background checks." Yeah, like they just jettison, they jettison the statutory requirements of the bill and just mill people right. through. Right. Perfect. There you go. So yeah, the the and idea I, that uh, and not only the, yeah. I was going to say, not only do, will Trump have cover if he wins the election, he'll be he'll be a lame duck president anyway. He has nothing to lose by doing this. Right. Right. Um, but what, what's amazing, though, right now is that uh, the conservatives that are go- that the, the other Republicans in the clown car are hitting him on, you know, Nikki Haley, for example, her counter to Trump isn't going anywhere. Right. Her counter to Trump is that he's not anti-Russia enough, that he's not um, um, that, oh, yeah. uh, you know, this or that, that it, we need amnesty. Her, her, her town hall was super cringe. Oh, my God. Yeah, her, her stuff like isn't going anywhere. However, however, here you want to hear something bad. There's a there's a non-zero chance that if Trump gets the nomination, he'll think in terms of his tactical advantage of getting her Jewish billionaire donors and make her vice president. He will run with her as vice president. Well, he already made her United uh, Secretary or the ambassador to the UN. Right. They have a working relationship. Yeah, he doesn't have any issue with her. Uh, Despite, you know, on on the surface, her being the anti-America first candidate. Um, He doesn't really, he doesn't have, he's not animated by attacking her. And that's because he's he's probably thinking it's either going to be her or Tim Scott that are going to be the vice president uh, with Trump. It's going to be a minority. OK, believe it. You know, no, I'm serious. It's got to be a minority. GOP donors will not accept uh, a white vice president ever again for a conservative candidate like they're going to. The GOP has affirmative action, too. OK, so. 
they're going to Trump is going to have to get a minority of some of some sort, no matter what they believe. He could get a he could get Vivek. That's I'm not lo- even that's not even one percent. That's not even that, that's effectively zero percent. And that's because Vivek has a lot of, of policy prescriptions. I was making a I was making a joke. Ah, OK, I went over my head. No, no, no. Yeah. You and I were you and I were calling him a goofball in the in our private chat the other day. No, yeah. I, I was making oh, a joke. Yeah, Ramaswamy or whatever. To, to be fair, though, to be fair, Vivek Ramaswamy is is actually a bit of a dark horse. Now he's not going to win, but he could come in fourth. He could come in third out of this like ten person field, and that's my, because yeah. My worry is that he is going that the the whole reason he is running is to force everyone back into a small government conversation. He he. Every yeah. time I watch anything he does. He goes into a must small night watchman government thing. And I I realize people in our politics think, oh, well, you know, the government, I'd love a smaller government. All it does is harass me. What he is going, what the, what he wants to do. And I think what he's giving the GOP cover to do to some extent is to say, oh, well, people have decided that, they don't like social programs anymore. We're, you know, we're cutting back. We're cutting back further on rural rent assistance. We're cutting back further yeah. on on uh, uh, food aid for, you know, people in outside of metro areas. Two things they actually just did um, in the the debt bill negotiations. So that's why I worry about Ramaswamy. Well, I'll tell you what tendency he represents. So he represents literally the Substack right. The Substack right is often, not exclusively, but often uh, this this intellectual class that's being cultivated on Substack is uh, a, fr- a friend of mine put it the the light brown rationalists. So they're talking. That's a good about, way to put it. They're talking about um, people like Richard Hanani, who's quite insightful. He's a libertarian, but he's quite insightful. Uh, and he's actually one of the, I believe Richard Anania is one of the people consulting with Ramaswamy. So these kind of online, smart, libertarian, but also kind of race realist uh, people. But here's the problem with them. Their problem, the, the, the problem with the rationalist race, somewhat half race realist, is that they will... For example, like they don't have any love for the blacks, right? They're like, you know, let's just put them all in prison, which is, you know, <laughs> not an unpopular belief when, it, when you look at the crime rate. However, they also have no love for the whites because if you look at what they prescribe, if you look at read between the lines, so therefore cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, cutting uh all this, you know, like you were saying, rural farm subsidies. I just wrote an article yesterday. Yeah. I just wrote an article two days ago. Nine million. The whole number in the country is like 20 million people, which is horrific. But nine million white Americans have substantial hospital medical debt. The yeah. group of the group of. And so then there's 11 million other people who shouldn't have it either. I mean, no, I don't I don't think anyone should have hospital medical debt, but. These these people would do a thing for that demographic. Well, it let me explain. A- let, let me explain to you why. Their reasoning, if you read between the lines, is well, 
their view is like, well, they're kind of um, upper middle class Indians or people from, you know, just generic non-whites that aren't black. They're making money. And so their philosophy is it's not rational for them to pay for the hospital and upkeep of old, non-productive white people. <laughs> That's literally what they're saying. They're saying, like, what? why should they pay taxes to fund old white people? Now, if, if you're a normal, if you're a psychologically normal person, you understand why that is, right? Why, why do young people pay for 80-year-olds to not have to work? But they, and, and I suspect it's the racial distance that plays a role in this, uh, they're against this. They're just like, well, let the old people die. This is social Darwinism. That's, that's actually their, what they propose. That's what Vivek Ramaswamy, to some degree, but especially Richard Ananya, he's like, you know, these people are old. What, why, why should we live in a gerontocracy? That's his view. Um, but the subtext there is that, you know, it's people he doesn't feel much affinity for because they're not his people. I mean, this just reinforces my point. They have they have no problem reintroducing the dismantle the state narrative. Yeah, <laughs> but, in, but in that the, racial context in the rationalists, because actually their position is relatively rational. Their position is, you know, he's they're making money. They're small business owners. They're engineers. They're starting companies. They're CEOs, and they don't really understand why they should pay for the 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 retirement of an old white person. Like, well, what are they doing for me? Right. That's I, a rational I, position. It is a but rational the problem position is that it's not from their position, but it's and it's and it's our position on the opposite end to take the rational position that this is a bunch of bull and we yeah. and, and we have to be on guard against it. Right. Right. And so, you know, I can see why, you know, if, if you're a white person and there are many whites that that have that position, it's because you're you're an antisocial atomized individual. If you don't if, if you really don't understand why a society pays for its people that are disabled and can't work or people that uh, are old and need health care or, or retire, that society pays for that. Like if you, don't, if you really don't understand why that is, well, you probably have some high-level Asperger's syndrome um, or, or you're just a, a hardcore individualist. But that's not, like a, it's not a sustainable model for a modern society. Okay, it's just not. Because yeah, modern, modern states can't operate in a, what did John Mearsheimer call it? Uh, progressive liberalism. He, he, anyway, he broke liberalism up into two, into two categories. And the first category was people who, who want liberalism, but don't want a state. And it's just, it's just, it just proves impossible in the modern world. Right. Right. Um, another thing, too, that uh, maybe we should touch upon here is that, you know, the Yoram Hazoni Israeli operation, which is national conservatism, has actually pivoted this year away from religion. For years, Yoram Hazoni, an Israeli Orthodox Jew, was promoting reactionary traditional Catholicism <laughs> in America. Uh, we, we talked about this on the, when I came on. We talked about the religion thing, not this specifically, but the religion thing when I came on. Yes, well, that Reich seems to be over. A guest, and it, well, yeah, I, it never went anywhere to begin with. All it did was cause people to argue a little bit. Yes, it. You know, and I so I uh, I actually 
I'll bring this up because I found it so funny. I Someone shared a post of mine the other day. Oh, one of the great repatriation posts. And I went and I read the comments because I don't have comments, but channels do. And it was a channel. I don't remember the name, but it was like a religious. These people are supposedly Puritan revivalists or something. Yeah. Deeply religious. First, they called you a fed. Oh, then yeah. They yeah. Call, then they called me a fed. <laughs> because people you share my stuff then after a couple minutes of of picking apart how various people are supposedly federal agents they started talking about how they have harems of underage girls and i'm like yeah. oh yeah well this uh the, your your typical religious uh quote unquote those religious. people people in that kind of world so the Uram Hazoni people well they're, they're literally jews that that poured a little bit of holy water on their head and pretend to be catholic um, a lot of them. And what you'll notice is those people hate us more than even Jonathan Greenblatt. That's because we have the more compelling argument and they see themselves as our rivals. Um, now, here's the thing, uh, James. They are, I, I noticed like maybe, I'm a person that's very observant. And I noticed that a lot of the religious nonsense started dying down like the hyper-religious theocratic stuff that was popular with the post-liberals that was everywhere, saturating, saturating the allowed, authorized conversation. It was, uh, it was leaking into our stuff. It was leaking into our stuff. So that, that kind of stuff. I noticed that like about a month ago, it just suddenly died off. It just it vanished did. like kind the of, freaking dinosaurs. It died after we off. Had that, after we had that conversation – um, I started, I have seen way less of it. Well, I'll tell you why. Go watch the latest uh, videos from the National Conservatism Conference last month. Um, they've largely, this was in Britain, um, just from a cursory uh, overview watching some of the speakers, they have largely uh, divorced themselves from religious theocratic stuff and are now actually doing seems fake white nationalism they don't have a choice i knew this they don't coming. have a choice I, and eric Kaufman in ago. particular is at the head of this this is you can go watch his speech from may 16th at the national london national conservatism conference eric kaufman who's a jew is um saying that they need to have basically saying that they need to have a non-anti-semitic cultural but also even heritage to some degree defense of white white populations and his perspective on that is that if you don't do that then extremists and radicals will mobilize the white population and he says this in between the lines he doesn't say it overtly all the time but he's like yeah they'll, they'll mobilize they'll mobilize white racial anger and and, well, I mean, and this is nationalist instincts is, against jews that's basically what, what he's saying he's saying okay we have to pull the lot we have yes exactly we have to pull the line back again so that they're 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 constantly pulling back their line we are we are actually succeeding in pushing them back over I and agree. over again uh just by holding our party line refusing refusing to meet these people halfway and pretend to be you know, religious theocrats or pretend to be, uh, you know, to conservatives or whatever. We refuse to absolutely refuse to meet them halfway on this stuff. And so that is what's leading them to continue to push back further and further and further 
uh, frankly, into un- uncharted waters here. Okay, because even a Jew-led, uh, Jewish-led kind of racial, ethno-nationalist thing. It'll collapse into our thing. It can't, you know, you, you kind of see it. it you kind of see it with Heather McDonald's new book that came out. It's very popular. It's very good uh, on some levels. It's got good research. Um, her new book, which is uh, essentially granting the WN arguments. And Murray, what's his name? Not Douglas Murray. Um, is it Douglas Murray? Who's Are the guy at the Heritage Foundation or Cato or whatever that writes about race realism? Is it Murray? I mean, some. It's either. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I yeah, yeah. Douglas not the Murray. young, not the young gay one. No, uh, yeah, he's British. He. Yeah. No, no, he's not. No, he's not. It's another oh. Murray. It's a famous, another famous one. Anyway, this guy writes about race realist stuff, but he always like, has the poison pill. Douglas of, Murray does too. He's pretty far right. Spectator writes about. Yes, yes, but not like this identity. guy. Like this guy hmm. talks about genes and DNA and things like that. And interesting. Um, and so this guy, you know, this guy has like a, a hall pass from the Jews to do this. No, I think we're thinking and of the same guy. I see. I see Douglas Murray. He's older. He's an old guy. Oh, interesting. Because the yeah. guy I'm thinking of is in a Charles school. Murray. I think it's Charles Murray. Charles Murray. Um, anyway, this guy has written some some books on this. It's very, very similar to American Renaissance, actually. And but if you push this guy, what he says is the reason he's granting. So his position is that you have to grant. Oh, yeah, I, I found him. Yes, I recognize this guy. His position is that you have to grant the racialists, the white racialists, that you have to grant nationalists uh, the, the the truth about race um, because it's true. Okay, like when when for example when leftists say that. Um, you know, science is racist, right? And they say science and math are racist. They're 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 racist, um, which they do. This is what they say is racist. And uh, why is that? Well, it's because racialism is true. Science and math are the a priori uh, ways that philosophers get to truth. Like the the you know uh, Greek philosophers base their uh, idea of truth uh, on to some degree, mathematical uh, premises. And uh, if, if, if that's the way to get to objective truth, then you're eventually going to become racialist through mathematics and science. And so essentially Murray says that you have to meet them halfway on this because everyone sees it. This is what they say. They're, they, they're, they don't say people need to be red-pilled on race. They say people are already red pilled on race but you need well, to meet the data shows it, it you it's need, indisputable you need, you need to have this discussion out in the light because if not people will go underground to find these ideas and they'll encounter anti-semites and nazis um, that's what his explanation for why he does what he does nathan kaufness same thing nathan kaufness is part of this national conservatism thing um eric kaufman nathan kaufness um they're all doing this. I mean, they've completely dropped the religious angle, completely dropped it. And now they're doing this stuff. Um, so they're getting closer and closer to us. And it's not because we're convincing or persuading them. Well, it's it's because we're growing in power. It's because we are growing in power and they have to fucking get ahead of the parade. They need to get in front of the parade and lead it. And they have the, the because they're not censored, they have a, a, an advantage 
But without granting many of our arguments, the advantage is worthless. Well, this is the thing. It's an in, it, without granting the latter half of the argument, it's an incomplete thought, and therefore it, it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Right. Exactly. They can't exactly. turn it into a proper ideology. Exactly. That's exactly true. And so this is, um, again, this, this all connects to the premise of the show, which is that people are already there, what, what Jews are struggling with now. What the phony establishment conservatives are doing is trying to figure out how much to grant the people, how much to give the people the quality. The minute, I mean, I am of the belief that the minute you grant them anything, it's over. Well, the, the minute, the minute, establishment. You, uh, uh, well, here's the thing, too. Like the second that you stop assuming that Matt Walsh is at operating in bad faith, which he is, Elon Musk, Matt Walsh, Peter Thiel, uh, everyone at the Compact Magazine, um, Eric Kaufman, Nathan Kofnis, Yoram Hazoni, all of these people are operating in bad faith. They're ultimately all loyalists to this white genocidalist system. And they're just sitting there figuring out how to suppress opposition to it. The best way to do it is by leading it. So they give themselves an artificial advantage by banning all other opinions other than themselves, and then slowly but surely giving you extremely watered down uh, versions of our narratives. Now, some will say this is a good thing, but it's not a good thing if the only thing that comes out of this is people get in the voting booths to reelect a Republican. Because we've Jordan tried this. For, yes, we've tried this for 60 years now and it's failed. OK, America looks a lot worse today than it did in 1964. OK, no one's going to dispute that. And trust me, more Republican presidents have been elected during this time than Democrats. So what's going on, friends? <laughs> what's going on here? You know, that's... I, I completely agree with everything you just said. It's really funny. It makes me think of uh, Fukuyama's book that he wrote in 2016, Identity, which, I mean, the whole premise of the book is like, we have to start granting these people concessions before they flip out and burn down the entire system. And the national conservatism thing seems to be an outgrowth of that trying to find the the concessionary line the problem is there is no line they either win or lose yes and it's also um the, the, this national conservatism thing is obviously an israeli operation okay it's obviously controlled by the israeli government i mean if anyone knows if, if you've never seen my article i wrote about three years ago on this on this group the edmund burke foundation used to be called something like the uh the, the 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 Israeli something something like it was openly a, an organization that sought to um, fund and organize evangelical Zionists. That's what Yoram Hazoni and these people were doing in 2016. They were uh, th these conferences were dedicated to cultivating evangelical Zionist defenders of Israel. And there was called something like the Christian Jewish Fellowship or some crap like that. And it was obviously an Israeli government operation, um, Israeli soft power. And suddenly, like a year later or two years later, they renamed it to the National Conservatism 
<laughs> it's the same people. The same people that were running the 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 Theodore Herzl Institute simply painted over Theodore Herzl Institute and changed it to Edmund Burke Foundation. <laughs> it's literally the same people. <laughs> so, you know, this is uh, it's not hard to find that this is a fraud. And um, you know, there there is also some tactical some tactical uh, tension inside of the Jewish community. I mean, we could talk about this book that came out two weeks ago. It's called Betrayal, The Failure of American Jewish Leadership. And uh, this I've is... I've not uh, heard of this. Yes, yes. So this is a book that came out a few weeks ago. And um, many of the essayists in it are these kind of... Um, many of them are well-known Jewish intellectuals. Jonathan Tobin... Um, Carolyn Glick, Alan Dershowitz, Morton Klein, they all contributed essays to this. And they're theorizing in, the, in this book that the American Jewish Committee, the Anti-Defamation League, and so on, that they're, they're sort of, by, by being so visible, their main complaint is that by being so visible, they are um, provoking anti-Semitism. And basically what they're saying is that these these types of these these Jewish tactics are obsolete, like they're just producing more and more anti-Semitism. Like uh, I know that the Jewish community was very unhappy with Jonathan Greenblatt's decision to go and attack Tucker Carlson. Now, the ADL eventually won that duel, as they always do. But the political damage done by um, engaging with an extremely popular right-wing thought leader in such a nasty way certainly hurt the Jewish community um, in, 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 in the minds of right-wing Americans. And, um, and so they're just, they're just basically, these Jews are writing about how, you know, Jonathan Greenblatt is a relatively controversial figure in the Jewish community. Now, he still has 70, 80, they, they, they'll all side with him over a Gentile. But internally, there is some criticism that he may be making, by, by being such a tyrant and using his power in such a naked, open way, he may be doing uh, damage to the Jewish community's ability to govern America. I mean, the real problem is that they're in a trap that no matter what they do, the reason Greenblatt is behaving like this is, to some extent, he feels he doesn't have a choice. Right. And he's right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Correct. I mean, the, the, there's a reason that Blinken is the Secretary of State and Yellen is the Secretary of the Treasury. Right. And, I mean, it's, it's because the open display of power at this stage is necessary to hold the thing together, even though it makes right. the, the situation all that much worse in the long run. They frankly don't trust Gentiles of any kind, left or right, to do their bidding anymore. Okay, they may have some old hats like uh, Biden or even Trump or even uh, more so DeSantis, but they're having trouble finding competent Gentiles that they because they've been so good at gatekeeping, essentially excluding white Americans from the elite that they don't really have any competent people anymore. And so they have to just do it themselves. I was just reading, I was reading a hilarious article just the other day about people coming out of, uh, um, 
liberal arts programs and political science programs, et cetera, et cetera. And they called it elite overproduction. But the real crux of the issue is that they have produced an incredible mass of people who are politically, as a sort of ideas-based running of a state, are, are utterly useless. Oh, yeah. They can't be used for anything because they have, they have bought every narrative hook, line, and sinker. And, you know, some of those narratives actually conflict with the actual interests of the state. Right. Right. Another problem they're having, too, is with liberal elites who are technically, you know, these people are the ones that are going to be the default running things, right? Because Jews selected it that way. So liberal educated whites, um, not all of them, this is starting to die down now, but for a long time, you know, look at a, a liberal cultural figure like Roger Waters, right? And what's going on is that these people are taught since they're very little, since they're children, people of the left, they're taught that the Jew is the ultimate perfect man. Perfect man in the sense that if you believe in the oppression hierarchy, right, the Jew is the most oppressed of all. And there's a lot of mythology here. You know, these these leftists and liberals, they they they're the, the, the one of the things that has that compels them to take up this this ideology is the image of the, the small boy in the ghetto with his hands up in front of the Nazis. Right. They are indoctrinated in this ideology. But the problem is that when these people get older. And they look at how the Israeli regime behaves, actually murdering women and children in an ethnic cleansing campaign. America killed a mil- somewhere between 350,000 and a million people in Iraq. Well, they, they'll, they'll grant you that. But I'm talking about specifically in the Jewish, what, what explains left wing, what they call anti-Semitism. So you're a leftist and you, it's like, it's like, um, you know. It's the equivalent of someone who's a huge fan of uh, a movie star, like a huge obsessive fanatic of a of a movie star or a, a, a sports figure or something, and finding out that this person is a pedophile, right? So with liberals and leftists, Gentile liberals and leftists with this highly moralistic, puritanical worldview of oppressed and oppressor, of 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 the the virtue of being oppressed, they they see the Jew as the ultimate perfect man because he's so oppressed throughout history only to find out that the jews themselves have betrayed their legacy their obligation to stand up for the oppressed by becoming the worst oppressors in the world themselves uh in palestine right and so for certain types of consistent and honest leftists that actually believe this stuff this is so outrageous that it causes them to really Go from loving the Jew, the, the the oppressed Jew, to hating the Jew to some degree or another. And I think Roger Waters is an excellent example of this. Now, the man is not an anti a racial anti semite. His only point is his, his the, the point the thing he can't get over. Roger Waters is you people suffered this great genocide at the hands of the Germans, and here you are. As soon as you, the war ends you start committing genocide against somebody else. How could you not learn that this is wrong? 
That's his position. And so a lot of Jewish people that indoctrinate Gentiles like Roger Waters in this philosophy, in this post-war liberal philosophy of the open society, are struggling because a lot of these people are moral, morally consistent and don't understand why you should make an exception for Jewish criminals that murder women and children. Like they don't understand that. So this is actually something that has the Jewish community uh, a bit on edge as well. I mean, they're mostly concerned with our political opposition to them, but they're also concerned that the that the people they assume were safe a safe pair of hands to run Zog could actually turn on them at some point. And I'm talking about white liberals, okay? So it's really a problem of being inconsistent and absolute brazen hypocrites, but they don't see it that way. They they lack that ability to to even process their own hypocrisy or they they know they're hypocrites and just don't care well they don't care they're hypocrites survival comes first they don't care that they're hypocrites right right i i uh, but guess what a, a, aware. a liberal a liberal white gentile does oh absolutely they're they become they become horrible horrid can't speak horribly cognitively disturbed if there's some perceived inconsistency yeah yeah, and so th this is kind of what the point of this book, Betrayal, is about, is that, like, they're saying, like, you know, the walls are closing in from all directions. The ADL is not doing a good enough job containing this. Now, it seems like some armchair generaling, you know, Jewish people have their own debates. They'll, they'll, they'll snap together against all whites, but that doesn't mean amongst themselves they don't have strategic and tactical Disputes. Oh, they, 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 hell, they fiercely hate each other over some of this stuff. Right. Yes. I they mean, have it some was extreme, it, some extreme. I mean, I, I remember reading an article from 2017 or 18 where um, the people from the Zionist organization, they had like some big Jewish conference and people from the Zionist organization of America got virtually into essentially into a fistfight with people from the ADL over like Trump. Like what, 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 like, cause the people at ZOA believe Trump is actually a good controlled opposition candidate while the people at the ADL believe that the kind of, um, the, 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 the white racial, the white racial, uh, impulse that he helped kind of marshal into the public sphere is ultimately going to be bad for the Jews. So this was the big fight they had. I'm, well, I mean, hell, you can just look at the, the Israeli state and the people running the American. The, the, Netanyahu and Anthony Blinken, just they detest each other. Sure. Anthony, yeah. Blinken, Anthony Blinken flew all the way to Israel to basically appear in front of camera next, next to Netanyahu and tell him off. Yes. At the end of the day, though, they they will mobilize the American military to defend. Oh, it. yeah. The, 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 the money doesn't stop and the weaponry doesn't stop. Right. But the. But there is a, a there are some tactical disagreements. Oh yeah, because because guess what? It does make it harder if Netanyahu is openly persecuting Christians and killing mass murdering women and children. It creates a problem for Jews in America that have to go and explain this to their white liberal voters and constituents. You know, how do you explain to your white liberal constituents that Jewish people are the ultimate victims of everything when this is happening in Israel? Well, so this is why this is why Netanyahu and Blinken were butting heads is because with the constitutional reform in Israel, 
what Netanyahu was attempting to do at the end of the day, because it's the Israeli Supreme Court that continues to issue rulings that various settlements and stuff have to be either torn down or they can't be expanded or, you know, the, the Netanyahu government can't put security forces in a particular area. So the crux of that was he would disempower the Supreme Court and then he could do whatever the hell he wanted in the West Bank. And the American state really, really, really didn't want Israel running around the West Bank killing more people and then have to start explaining that. Yes. And another thing, too, to another thing, too, is there may be um, simply an intellectual difference. I mean, like it or not, generally speaking, um, people that take a left wing or liberal position on things tend to be more um, not always, but oftentimes more strategic and more thoughtful in how they operate, even if they have the same agenda as the right wing Zionists. They do. And so. You have a, a, a question of how much of the carrot and how much of the stick to use. This is actually what the debate is. So the Israelis are saying, you know, you guys are being diplomatic with Iran. You know, I don't know if you notice this, but as soon as Iran um, show, started showcasing its new hypersonic missile, the U.S. has actually started releasing some of their money. <laughs> that they I froze over that actually. <laughs> they they the, the money, you know, on the one hand, they'll they'll mock the hypersonic missile. They'll say, oh, this is just some dinky, not even close to the but on the other hand, they're releasing a lot of the frozen funds that they stole from the Iranians, uh, that are investments in other countries. The US government stole these, and they're giving some of it back in hopes of bringing them back to the negotiating table. Because all it takes now that they have these missiles is to put a nuclear tip on them. <laughs> That's it. You put a you can put a tactical nuke in, inside of one of these hypersonic missiles, and suddenly the the uh, advan military advantage that Israel is supposed to always have is is just goes up in a plume of smoke. So the um the, the the Israelis are like, no no no. What we need to do is we need to start a war with them right now, like a direct kinetic confrontation between the U.S. and Israel and Iran. Well, they've said this for years. The only, at the end of the day, the Israel, the only way to stop the Iranians is to basically turn Tehran into a pile of rubble. That's been their position yeah. for decades. Yeah, yeah. And the U.S. helps them, right? Like they kill. They're constantly. The U.S. is involved in helping kill um, Iranian scientists and things like that. But it seems to not have an effect. Um, you know, maybe slows them down a little bit, but it doesn't stop the Iranians from developing their weapons. And now, like. Um, Basically, with another thing I think the Israelis are upset with is that, um, you know, the war in Ukraine, while they may support the Ukrainian side for a variety of reasons, it's pushed like they know that the that the Russians know. Why America, like what the impulse behind America's intervention in Ukraine is, it's coming from Victoria Newland, it's coming from Anthony Blinken, it's coming from the, the neocons. And so the way the Russians are getting back at America is not to strike America. It's just to give high-tech weapons to Iran. <laughs> like, oh, okay. If we strike America, they don't care. But if we start arming Iran against Israel, uh, then they'll, they'll be a little – it'll at least cause infighting among the Atlanticists. And it worked. There is infighting oh, yeah, among the Atlanticists. It's working. This is the, actually the, the stroke of genius that the Chinese and the Russians – 
um, have developed. The Chinese are now integrating Iran economically, and the Russians are integrating them politically and um, militarily. Um, and th this is what the Chinese and the Russians understand is the way to get America to stop antagonizing. And they're right. And the American government is desperately trying to avoid giving them what they want, the Chinese and the Russians, but they're coming under pressure from the Israelis over this. Because they're like, okay, you're going to get Russia and China against us now? Okay, great. You know? Well, the, I mean... Uh I would even argue the Iranians taught the Russians and the Chinese because Iranians have understood yeah. this for a very long time. It's a secret to their survival. <laughs> yeah, it is. If it wasn't for it, their understanding of, of the Jewish question, their uh, highly developed understanding of how world politics work, how America comes to its – the American empire comes to its decisions. If they did not understand this, they would not be competent on the chessboard. And they have effectively well, they would have been they would have been checkmated. color color revolutions decades ago. Exactly, it's the understanding of the Jewish question that is the secret to the staying power of the Iranian regime. Okay, that's it. So Absolutely, I completely this is uh, agree. this is this is what's going to cause this is causing some tension inside of the Atlanticist block. That there really aren't any good answers. Like, there's no good decision to make. There, there's well, just a, a lot is, of bad ones. For, this for is the, this is my point with sort of everything the Brussels and Washington and Berlin and London uh, that they're all trying to deal with is that there there is no good way out of the situation. American right. global power is on a permanent decline. It just is what it is. Right, right, and and there's some factions of Jewish people that are going to be like, um, well, you know, at what point? This is, I think, the point the Israelis are making is like, at what point do we start cutting our losses on this? Because the Jews in oh, America, they already, I think they already want that to happen. Right. Because they're like the Jews in America are are going to literally throw they're, they're going to literally make the, the situation worse by trying to preserve something against the gust of history. OK, what, what the gust of history is, is overwhelmingly saying is that um, American imperialism, the American empire, needs to stop promoting these cultural values, and it needs to stop abusing SWIFT and the U.S. dollar hegemony. Because if it doesn't stop doing that, countries will stop using the U.S. dollar, they'll stop using SWIFT, and they'll start fighting, fighting America. Well, they are, I mean, they already, so I was, I think I even made this point to you, I was making it to several people at the same time, I was having a good laugh the other day because Africa, the African Union, is now putting together a delegation of six leaders of six of the countries, one of them being uh, Ramaf Cecile Ramaphosa, the president of South Africa. And they're going to Ukraine, and then they're going to Russia, and they're going to try to negotiate a peace settlement. Because, <laughs> frank because frankly, the Africans can't continue to deal with the economic repercussions of this war. The grain, yeah, the grain but shortages. Anyway, they started, they're, they're putting together this mission. And Washington basically said, you know, we don't like this. We don't want you to do this. You need to think about this again. And this, and the South Africans said, well, screw you. I they didn't literally, but the, yeah. the language, the response was effectively, no, screw you. This is in our interest. Yeah. And, you and you just see this more and more. The Indians have done it. The Arabs are doing it increasingly. 
the uh, Brazilians now under Lula do that. Like, they just don't pe- – no one cares anymore. Well, they've lost their, their negotiating power um, because here's the problem. You can't fight. The, the people in Washington think they can fight Russia, China, Iran, but also think they – and Venezuela – but also think they can fight the white majority of not just the United States, but the entire West. At some point, you just have too many enemies and you simply have uh, boxed yourself. You've painted yourself into a corner. Uh, And now I think they're trying, I, I suspect they're trying to get out of it and they're using Elon Musk to do it. Um, if you've been following Elon Musk in the last few, in the last month, say, you'll notice that a lot of these countries that refuse to meet with the ass clowns and weirdos in the U.S. government will actually meet with Elon Musk. For example, recently, the Chinese refused to meet with American military officials um, at some conference. They refuse. They're just like, we're not meeting you. Everything with you is in bad faith. We're not meeting with America anymore. Uh, however, they did meet with Elon Musk recently. Um, another thing, too, is uh, Bibi Netanyahu and Elon Musk are very close now. This has been reported in the media that they are working very, very closely. Now, anyone who has any ability to reason will understand that Elon Musk is not an independent actor. Just like a billionaire in China uh, ultimately has to serve the interests of the Chinese Communist Party or else – um, billionaires in America have to serve the United States power structure or else that includes well, Elon it's their Musk. power structure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So when, 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 push comes to shove, like when they were trying to uh, do a color revolution, basically they tried to do like a George Floyd style rioting in Iran to overthrow the government. Oh yeah. Over uh, that woman who was arrested or whatever yes. by the morality police. Uh, and by the way, there's recently two autopsies that were done independently of this woman that supposedly was killed by Iranian police. And actually, she died of a, a cardiac arrest. And the European uh, Union poured tons of time and effort into trying to get that off the ground. Tons. Yes. But you know who was who played a central role? Like the Iranians for years, the way they've gotten around they, they, they've gotten around these CIA organized riots and coup attempts color revolutions is simply by shutting off the internet in the country. Uh, but this time, what made this this one more uh, effective than previous uh, attempts at overthrowing the government is one, they played to ethnic resentments from Kurds. Kurds and the CIA go hand in hand. They're very close. And uh, number two, Elon Musk provided free internet to these literal terrorists. They went and murdered. Of course he did. He provided Starlink internet access for free, refused to shut it off um, in order to stick his nose in this this sovereign state's business. In order to literally start a civil war in Iran, Elon Musk provided his supposedly private satellites uh, to suit an American and Israeli regime change operation. And he's doing this in Ukraine as well. He's helping the, the Ukrainians are using uh, you know, the Russians, the Russians have, have neutralized some of the Internet infrastructure in the country. So the Ukrainians are just using Starlink from Elon Musk for free. They so, were, are they still doing that? Because I remember Zelensky and Musk had a little they got into a little argument over something. I don't even remember what. And Musk basically 
either did or threatened to start making them pay for it. Yes. Yes. But uh, what happened is, and this was announced eight days ago, um, the Pentagon is just paying for Starlink to. to oh, oh. So the Pentagon I think is I paying remember them a that. lot of money. Yeah, they're paying them a lot of money to support the Ukrainian war effort. I mean, objectively, under the laws of war, the Russians who have the means to do this have the right to shoot these satellites out of space. Okay, these are effectively instruments of American foreign policy that through the absolutely pedantic distinction between private and public somehow would be an international incident, but they're being used to wage war against Russia. So Elon Musk is not an independent actor. He does, he's, he's essentially a, almost like a George Soros, not, not, not in the sense of a, as a sovereign actor imposing his own vision on the world. He's a George Soros in that he's this pr private billionaire that is meddling in other countries' affairs on behalf of America. So, you know, this guy, th this guy is increasingly, because, because people just naturally respect uh, a highly intelligent, straight white man, much more than they will Lloyd Austin or Joe <laughs> Biden, 85-year-old, whatever, Joe Biden. You know, they, no one respects these people. Nobody takes them seriously. So what they're doing now, what the American deep state and Pentagon are doing, is they're sending Elon Musk out as the emissary of America, of the American empire. Because people still take him seriously. He has a lot of, he garners some respect from the world. He is a smart guy. And so they're just sending him out. But he's serving the same agenda. That's what they have to understand. He's serving the same agenda of George Soros. Well, the thing I always the thing I always remember, and I just said it a minute ago, is that it is still his he is still he still has a significant reason to be majorly invested in the system. It is he it is his system in the sense that yeah. he's the kind of person that exists to serve, Who, therefore he serves it back. Nobody would buy a Tesla were it not for the tax credits. Um, nobody, I mean, there would have never been a SpaceX without the amazing amounts of subsidies given to Musk. Like everything, every major endeavor that Musk takes on is funded by the U.S. government. Oftentimes, American, the, the, the American Department of Defense. So the idea that this is an independent actor, he has a, he has a dog in this fight. He, he has a vested interest in keeping the American empire going. The question is, is this the interests of the white man in America? And the answer is no. Oh, we indisputably don't. no. We don't. And we don't want it. And polls actually show people don't want the American empire. Um, this is the so, thing no one ever has. Aside, no from, ever has. aside from very brief anger after 9-11, where right. understand, understandably people were furious. Yeah, the uh, the American public at large has never been can has never been happy nor approved of the policeman role of sort of the neoliberal order. They've never wanted it. Right. It's un-American. OK, it's totally un-American. The, the, the default position. Fascinatingly, the default position of most Americans politically is toward isolationism. Total isolationism. There is, there's two oceans, arguably four. Right. If you kind of ignore Canada, which is the same landmass and basically a vassal state, um, America is surrounded on oceans by 
four by three and a half of its four sides. It, 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 isolationism has been the natural political position of most average wow. Americans. They, they have no conception of the reasons why the state does the things it does. Yeah, there you go. So basically, um, yeah. What 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 candidate? I mean, even Trump isn't even um, taking this position anymore. What candidate is representing this in America? The this pro war position, Nikki Haley. This is no, no. I'm saying like the the America First position. Who's taking? Oh, that no, one? One. no one. No one. No one. Trump kind of. No, no one. But Trump. He, I mean, kind his of. His argument but, is yeah. his argument is it would not have happened, but he's never argued. So that stupid. He <laughs> right. I've never seen him right. argue that he would. If I, was, if I was president, it would have never happened. It yeah, would have never, never happened because I would have showed I would have showed Putin something. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what that is, but I would have yeah, done something, and he wouldn't have done. He wouldn't have gone. The statement was something like the the Putin would have shown him respect, like yeah. would have made him respect it. It was something really goofy. It was like I'd show my big red button. That's it. Yeah. Oh jeez. Oh, ah, oh, my Lord. my my big red button is bigger than his. Yeah, you do something like that, which is laughable, you know. Oh jeez. Yeah, well, with that, yeah, that yeah. lovely image in mind, I think we can <laughs> wrap it up. <laughs> lovely departing image for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, thank you so much, Striker. No worries. Yes. No, my pleasure. Good show. Oh. Yes. 